2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This show is brought to you by SeatGeek, the perfect place to buy and sell tickets. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, and we have a terrific show for you today. Live from Oklahoma City, Tim Kawakami from the San Jose Mercury News. Tim and I will sit down and discuss what we've seen so far in the first three games of the Oklahoma City Golden State Series and what we might see in Game 4 and beyond. And Dave Yeager, the new head coach of the Sacramento Kings. We talked to Dave about his decision to move to Sacramento and what exactly happened at the end in Memphis. That's next on the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix.
1: Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, Chris Mannix. All
3: right, welcome in everybody. Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Got a good show for you today. And I want to begin out here in Oklahoma City, uh, where the Thunder, they lead the Golden State Warriors two games to one. Game four tomorrow night, Tuesday night in Oklahoma City. And I'm joined by... Terrific columnist, San Jose Mercury News, Tim uh, Kawakami, who was at the game last night. And Tim, I guess we should tell listeners, like full disclosure here: we're recording this this podcast while we're waiting for the results of the uh, Draymond Green analysis by the NBA. Will they suspend him? Yes. Will they not? You know, it's going to cut like middle of this podcast. Okay. We'll hear about it, and then we'll have to change topics.
0: I, I was, if you hear me clicking on my Twitter, uh, it, it's for updates to see what, see what, what I'm actually going to write today because that's where we're at. We're just waiting for this thing to be announced. It might change a few things if uh, here or there it's it's incredible. Let, let's
3: just let let's start with that play though. just in particular. Did you think that Draymond Green intentionally kicked Stephen Adams?
0: As I watched it, and even if you find them, and we're up in a corner uh, where I was sitting on the opposite side, I didn't even really see it. You just kind of, you know, it was, I think, most of the crowd. You just kind of saw it, saw the action, saw the whistle. Or I didn't really hear the whistle it was so loud uh, and kind of saw him bump. And then Ben Adams goes to the ground, and you kind of realize later what happened. I saw the kind of grainy video, and it's just kind of the action that happens in the play. It took a while to see that kind of reverse angle, uh, and yeah, I think it was. If you, you know, I don't know if you want to say intentional. Definitely, he had very little regard whether or not he was going to actually kick Stephen Adams in the groin. Right? I mean, his leg was coming up, and I think he might have accelerated once he realized where it was headed. Uh, how you want to rule on that? What that really means? You know, is it half intentional, half inadvertent? Uh, I, I'm going to be practical on this and I don't really know what he intended to do at the start of the action but I think he could have avoided it, absolutely could have avoided doing it, absolutely could have not kicked as hard as he did. I think there was some truth to the Warriors' very, very lawyerly explanation, which was almost automatic in in the locker room and with Steve Kerr leading the way, that you you flail to get the call, even if after the whistle you keep going. It's just kind of what Draymond does. We've seen the videos that have come out today that – he kind of does as he kicks his right leg out when he's jumping up with his left. Uh, lots of that rings true. I also think that he had time to realize what he was doing, and he kept going. I think we've all done that. We've kind of started doing something and realized that at that moment we could avoid it or we could keep going, and we've kept going. And I think that's what happened with Draymond. And he is a player who, who you know, he and Stephen Adams have bumped before. We've seen this. They've, they've exchanged words. There's, there's a history between them. All these things are relevant factors. I don't believe it was, you know, I I just don't think it crosses the line of suspension. It might in the league. I I understand reasonable people who would come to that conclusion. In this action of it's in after a foul, is it explainable? I I think it's fairly under the line, in my opinion, of being suspendable. Certainly a flagrant. I would imagine that's where they're going to keep it. but We'll probably know pretty soon.
3: The kick didn't... You know, it didn't fire up Oklahoma City. They were fired up already yeah. at that point in the game. What happened to Golden State last night? Because this is the second time in three games where they have looked nervous almost. They have yeah. been rushing shots. They were taking fast possession. This is a team used to playing fast, but it, it was a different kind of fast last night, Tim, or I should say Sunday night, as opposed to, you know, what we've seen for most of the season.
0: Yeah, you know, a lot of it is they're used to making shots. It's so much a part of them that the quick shot is good in a lot of ways because it demoralizes the opponent. The opponent doesn't even have a chance to defend. It's you're, They're back down, and Klay Thompson's pulling something for 25 feet. Steph Curry's throwing something, you know, turning his shoulder the wrong way and still throwing it in from 26 feet. But we've also seen, against a really good team, and Oklahoma City, which has changed from the middle of the season has become a really good defensive team. Maybe just from the middle of the playoffs has become a good defensive team. The, those, those shots that are you know not great percentage shots against lesser teams are devastating shots if you miss them against Oklahoma City because they're contesting it, so they're harder. Uh, and then they get out the long rebound, and they're gone, and you're not stopping Kevin Durant or Westbrook. And, and recently, Deion Wiers, which is a yeah. huge thing, I think, for Oklahoma City. Uh, that they they can just bring a guy off the bench who can make plays. I didn't think Waiters could make these kind of plays. I have not seen him make these kind of plays before. Making passes on the break, uh, finishing himself. We know he can hit threes occasionally. We know we know he's an erratic player, but he's been very consistent for Oakland City last few games. So I, I just think that the Warriors, you know, they they as as Kerr said today, they, you know, they walk a fine line between the too fast shot and the momentum shot that pushes the lead from 10 to 18 all of a sudden. They're just getting lured into this where they're taking a quick shot to try to get eight points all at once, and it turns into eight points for the other team because it just feeds momentum of a team that has as much offensive firepower as they've ever played in the playoffs. And and I do believe this is the best team the Warriors have played in the last two years of the playoffs. Uh, I I thought it would be. I I think Oklahoma City is better than I even thought. I, I just thought it was a tougher matchup for the Warriors than San Antonio was the entire season. Not in the regular season, but in the playoffs, just because you get that kind of talent revving up against you, and if you have a cold moment and you your confidence wavers a bit, they're going to go eleven-two on you. You know, maybe in the regular season you can hold your own, and it's seven-five, and you're not playing great in in a, a three-minute run. Oklahoma City put up a what was it, you know, a forty-two to ten or whatever yeah. it was. Uh, Warriors aren't playing great, but even if they're playing well, they know that Oklahoma City can match them if Oklahoma City's playing really well. That's the difference. They really haven't faced that before, and obviously Oklahoma City played great last night. I don't think the Warriors could have won that game unless they played perfectly, and we know that they really didn't play perfectly. This is new for them. This is me. Cleveland was a little bit of that in the first few games. But not like this. They had one guy that the Warriors really had to concentrate on and knew could win a game single-handedly. Although LeBron really didn't. do He scored, but it was at a low percentage. Westbrook and Durant are a whole different thing, where either one of them, or both, can just blow the Warriors off the court. The Warriors have guys like that, too. They're just not used to the other team having the ability to match them like that or top them, as they clearly did last night.
3: A lot of times, Tim, most times, when other teams go big— Golden State runs them off the floor. You just can't play that big against a team like Golden State with that death lineup they can put out there. For some reason, and maybe it's not for some reason, maybe it's the talent of their bigs, for some reason Oklahoma City has been able to effectively play Adams, Cantor, Abaca out there when Golden State has gone small. What have you seen there that uh, that makes this, this Oklahoma City lineup so effective against a team that's usually very good at offsetting that?
0: You know, length has kind of bothered. You know, they lose nine games of regular season, so it's all relative. But length has bothered them. Length in the passing lanes, because so much of what they do is at high speed, and these over-the-shoulder, half-look, no-look passes lead to easy baskets for them usually. If they can move the defense and the defense can't react to them, this length that that Oklahoma City can throw out, even in their small end, quote small lineup, which is a pocket center and Durant at four. They're lengthy. you know. They get their hands on balls. They jump the passing lanes. And we all know the Warriors can be a little bit lax on that. They can uh, Curry for sure, Draymond a little bit. They can try to make the perfect through-the-needle pass, and they often do. That's against a team that maybe isn't as quick athletically and isn't as long. But you know, we saw it when they lost against you know, their tough game against Boston and Boston, and they lost to Boston at Oracle. Uh, Milwaukee had some lanes on them. Uh, there's some other teams you wouldn't have fought would give the Warriors off in some trouble. Detroit, another one. They got length. And I think what Oklahoma City's got, they've got the length and then they've got the superstar on offense, two of them, or one of them at any time for sure, that can make the Warriors pay for it on the other side. Every Warriors turnover is a dunk on the other I mean, how many dunks does Oklahoma City have in the last game? It's just, it's not just a, a lost possession. It's a lost possession and a dunk or a three on the other side. That's what the Warriors usually do to everyone else. I think we're seeing Adams can contest in the lane. We've seen Baca certainly can contest in the lane. We've seen Roberson contest in the lane. We've seen Durant contest in the lane. Westbrook has played the passing lanes very well. That kind of thing, you know, the, you know that pattern six pass Warriors move the ball back, to, back and forth takes, you know, you need to make it the right pass, and you need to make it when you're not in danger. And the Warriors are throwing a lot of dangerous passes. You're seeing some of the balls are just being fed to Zelie say or in traffic, and they're clanging off his hands. This is what really athletic long defense have tried to do to the Warriors, not always really successfully. But when they've struggled, it's been against that kind. Of, and Oklahoma City's been at, at the you know the paramount of that, certainly in the last game.
3: Steve Kerr said on Sunday night that you know we've been here before. We've been down two games to one to Memphis. We've been down two games to one to Cleveland. I, I kind of snickered at that, Tim, because they really haven't been here before. I mean, they yeah. Memphis was overmatched. Cleveland was a one-man band at that point when they were up two games to one. Oklahoma City, to me, Oklahoma City is not just a team. That is a Western Conference finalist. They're a Western Conference finalist that believes they're an NBA finalist. There probably isn't a player on that roster, much less you know Durant and Westbrook, that doesn't believe they're better than Golden State. And and why shouldn't they at this point? This is this is an entirely different situation, right? Than anything that Golden State experienced in the past.
0: I'd agree. Now of course they have to tell themselves, that, you know, they they have to say we can't go through this because we've been through this. But I yeah. think they recognize, and and privately they have a few of them have said. That the Thunder is the best team that they've played in the playoffs. It's, it's a clear declaration. Durant and Westbrook are different than any other. That combination is different than anything else they've ever faced in the playoffs. And that would include, you know, when they played the Spurs a few years ago with the, that no, was before Kerr, but they, they did play the Spurs. You know, and I keep going, this has been kind of a routine of mine for a couple years now, but it, this is why they want Kevin Durant. You know what? And when we talk about these free agents, you know scenarios. I don't think they're getting him now, but this guy is special. This guy, you break up chemistry to try to get him. You, you. This guy changes things on the floor, even when he's not having a great shooting night. It just changes things. Seven seven, you can do the thing to get to the basket, like he can shoot from anywhere, shoot from all angles, shoot when defended well. That is a whole different situation for the Warriors. That they could play really good defense, like they did with LeBron in the finals. They put Igudala on him. And made him work so hard that it took the, the Cavaliers down. You could do that on Durant. He could still score 40 on you because he can just get that shot off in so many different ways, and he can go into uh, in transition. And, and now he's playing really, really solid inside defense. That's different for them. You know, they're used to having the best player on the floor, and you, we could talk about you know whether it was LeBron or Curry or Iguodala, even the finals, but it, it was all equivalent. They're used to. They're going to have the best guy on the floor when it's Curry. They're not so sure about that. I mean, I don't know anybody so sure about that now when you have, you're putting Curry on the floor with Durant and Westbrook. That is new. That, that's, that, that's the equation that, that's tough for them uh, when they go through this. Because if Curry isn't playing great and then Westbrook and Durant are better than the two that are matched on them, sometimes it's Curry, they're not, that's not how this is built for the Warriors. It's not built that way. Uh, and then they want to go fast, and Oklahoma City's happy going fast. These are all the ways they've beaten other teams, Is and Oklahoma, it almost plays in Oklahoma City's strengths. That's the equation. I, that's where I don't know what the big solve here is for them. I, I mean, I think they're going to play Iguodala a lot more. They played him, they've they been playing him plenty, but I think they might start him, maybe just start with this, with a depth lineup, see how that works, put Iguodala on Durant right off the bat maybe limit Barnes's minutes, you know, if they come off the bench, they come off the bench with something. You know, we'll see. But that's not a big change for them. That's not a major adjustment. That's kind of what they do anyway. And what do we feel, of, you know, in the last game, we saw Cleveland City's smaller lineup destroy the Warriors' small lineup, and that almost never happens. These are all things that they've never really had to deal with before. What, what I get back to and what I think I'm right now is that it, at some point it, it, it Steph Curry is a you know, a historic player. Unanimous MVP never happened before. You almost have to say, okay, you gotta go get it then. You know, this is this is you. There's nobody great defending you. You know, there's not an Avery Bradley in this series. Some other people who just you know, can Davis Caldwell Pope played him great when Detroit played him. That's not in this in this series. Steph Curry at some point has to be the best player on the floor by a lot, and he has not been. Uh he was he was a little bit in game two, but this time I, I it's they don't like saying this and they don't like doing this but he is the best player in the league He's unanimous mvp mvp last year go do it Steph and it, it could come down to it It, it again a jokingly thing I say Steph Curry versus the world is this real this series might just come down to Steph Curry versus Oklahoma City Thunder See if he's good enough
3: you know what's funny is how we're watching maybe one of the best summer subplots unravel kind of in real time <laughs> I mean you know, Kevin Durant is is six wins away from destroying everybody's fun this summer. I mean, I can tell you, in talking to other owners, general managers, everyone is rooting for Golden State right now. Everyone <laughs> is rooting for Golden State just to get Durant really on the free agent market. He might not, Tim, he might not be on there already. I mean, beating San yeah. Antonio might have been enough to ensure Kevin Durant comes back, but beating Golden State, that's more than enough to make sure Kevin Durant comes back.
0: It really is interesting, right? I mean, it just... You look at this and say, okay, now why would he leave? And, course, you know, with what he what's developing around him, 75% of what we were going to write this summer was involving that. And I'm sure it was in his mind. You know, he, he's working it out as he goes. But it, it's it's a team, and again, the Warriors could easily win next game, next two. I don't know, might go six, might go seven. You know, this will feeling like a seven-game series if the Warriors are going to stay in it unless they get blown off the court in the next game. You know, it, it, it's, uh, it is a very, very interesting situation for them. I'll just put it this way. Let's just turn it to them. They want Durant. There's no question they want Durant. They want to beat Durant in order to make Durant join them, and that is not happening. And if this goes seven, I don't think it would convince Durant otherwise. I think he would stay in Oklahoma City because he's got this, these pieces that are working. And, the, and when you start looking at the Warriors, well, it would all is a little bit older. Boga's a little bit older, Livingston's a little bit older, maybe Oklahoma State's just a better situation. It's fascinating to watch it develop. It's the under-the-radar, or you know, as we're talking about it now, not under-the-radar, public conversation, and it's being solved right as we look, right in front of us. This guy who was blown off the court in game one in San Antonio, and that was when we're thinking, that's it, okay, everybody get line. Boston, Washington, the Lakers, the Warriors, San Antonio – the heat, whoever you want to put in there, it's they're all being pulled off the table, and it's 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 in a positive way because this Oklahoma City's figuring stuff out as in front of us. It, they knocked off a 67 win team in San Antonio, and right now they're pushing a 73 win team as far as it goes.
3: Right, Tim, hang on for one second for me. I got to tell my listeners here quickly about Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron achieves this. By supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs, Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries and ranchers across the U.S. As a result, seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Beef is raised humanely, chickens are free range, pork is raised naturally, regenerative farming practices are used for produce. Blue Apron can be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S. and 99.5% of the of food desserts. Because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they are reducing food waste. Cooking together builds strong family bonds. Research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often. Those who spend a lot of time eating out at high end grocery chains can now spend under $10 per person for a healthy, delicious meal. The meal's available in May. Crispy cod and cabbage slaw tacos and pepita, pineapple, and avocado salsa. Middle Eastern chicken and chicken pea stew with pita croutons. Pan-seared pork chops with two cheese mashed potatoes and sautéed spinach. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals, so they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. New recipes are created each week by Blue Apron's culinary team and are not repeated within a year. Customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. Choose delivery options to fit your needs. There's no weekly commitment, so you get only deliveries when you want them. Each meal comes with a step-by-step easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your free two meals with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash You will love how good it feels and tastes to create an incredible home-cooked meal with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Tim, let me ask you about Joe Lacob and mm-hmm. the comments he made earlier in the year to the New York Times about how Golden State is, is light years ahead of everybody else. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the same thing. There are many owners, general managers, oh. agents, not at all thrilled with those comments. They kind of hang around Joe's neck like an anvil here because I think in a weird way they've been motivational for the teams that are going up against the Warriors.
0: Yeah, I think there's no question about that. And uh, I think I asked her about it not too long, ago. I think you said it best. Is, you know, even if you're thinking that, if you believe it, don't say it. You know, all it does is sit there. You can't win when you declare yourself the smartest front office that's ever been in sports, and it's you know certainly not true until you win six or seven straight championships. Yeah. Uh, my point on this is this is the way Lacob's talked from the day he bought the team and they were winning 20 games. You know, this is who he is. Uh, you know, venture capitalist, billionaire uh, who has injected himself into this situation and made it better, made the Warriors better, no question, made them champions, made them unprecedented at an unprecedented level. They're, you know, they've increased the value of the franchise at least in a double, perhaps much more than that. Uh, he's, he's one of those, you know, guys who just believes in pushing and prodding and declaring things and, Maybe being wrong, but then, you know, revising and declaring something else. They were going to build the arena in San Francisco at one spot. They said, for sure, it's going to happen. They changed your mind. It's going to another spot it, for this, you know, by this date. Now they've changed that. It, 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 there's an audacity there that I understand. And, and a lot of a lot of it is to be respected by achievement. You, you have to achieve and you better achieve at the highest level. You can talk like that. And they have. And he declared that they're going to win a championship within five years this is when they were, you know, Monte Ellis and you know, Corey McGuinty and all that was on the roster, and they figured it out and they won a the championship five years. So, locally, you know, personally, I understand it. It's just when you say it, when you declare this to the New York Times, uh, and, and you beat your chest like that, you're going to get it, it, you're accountable for this. And it's allowed for people to roll their eyes or worse at it. And if you do not win a championship, if you fail to do the things you you said you will do, and are you know, destined to do. You're going to get hit for it. It's that's all fair game. Doesn't change who he is. Doesn't change what they've achieved. Doesn't change that they've upgraded this franchise in you know in, in incredible levels. But you, you put yourself on the block. You absolutely you put yourself out there to be analyzed and dissected and criticized. No question. But that's who he is, and, and it's not out of his character. You know, he's not Mark Cuban. He's not, you know, some of these others. But he he believes in himself. He has made turned himself into, you know, an incredibly rich man with this belief. He's, you know, bought the Warriors when Larry Ellison was bidding for them. And how he ended up with him, with the Warriors, when Larry Ellison was bidding, when Larry Ellison could buy every franchise in the league four times over with writing a check for it, uh, it's something, you know, there's an audacity there, that explains a lot of how this Warriors franchise has transformed itself in only five years. From you know, And Chris Cohan was one of the worst owners in sports. There is no question about that, and the performance level proved that. But you put yourself out there, then you're going to get taken hits absolutely every time. And it's interesting, Lakeham has obviously achieved incredible amounts. Lakeham and Peter Guber as a co-owner. Uh, they, they put a banner up. They've won seventy three. You know this team has won 73. He hired Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, which is interesting. Because they're very self effacing guys. Rick Wells, the president. These are all these guys would never say anything like that.
3: Yeah, they were probably mortified. They,
0: they know Joe. You know they know Joe. They know he can say these things. They wish he did not say it in that manner at that point to the New York Times or ever. He did. Uh, they know it. Then it's not like it's out of his character, but. Um, I don't, through all this, with Steph Curry on the team, and that was another weird part of it. He said, you know, this is not just Steph Curry. Okay, factually, yes, it's not just Steph Curry. It's a lot of other things. But you don't say that when Steph Curry is who he is and means what he means to the franchise, to the region, to the sport, to the world. Uh, That's Joe just getting ahead of himself. But through all this, He's not really beloved in the Bay Area. I mean, certainly not in Oakland, declaring that they're going to move to San Francisco almost from the get-go of his ownership. So it's a, it's a complicated situation, certainly for the fan base. I mean, he got booed off the floor at a Chris Mullen night, you know, a couple years into his ownership after he traded Montales. He was right, but it's a personality that kind of attracts a lot of different feelings. More so than you would think for a team that just won a title for the first time in forever and is backing up with a 73-win team that may or may not win the championship again. We'll see. But it's a different I know him so well. It's interesting to watch all these reactions because I've gone around and around with him on many different issues. Uh, not always on the record, but it's it's. I know his, his argumentative soul. I know what he feels, and I know what he's achieved. And, and you always have to acknowledge that. And this team, even if they don't win the championship and they'll get hit if they do not win the championship, this team is a, is, a, is a you know, standard. This is the standard in the NBA for winning at this point with Steph Curry on it. And they lucked in the, you know, they, had, they inherited Steph Curry, but they've sure done the most around him. So all these things are in play with Joe Lakin. They wouldn't be if he just didn't say these things, but it's his personality. He's going to say them. He'll say them again, I'm sure. Uh, he was very great. He wins the Sports Business Executive of the Year award, which is a very, very prestigious award. During Game Three, Game Two, by the way, so he was in New York during Game Two with Steph Curry's going crazy. But he, you know, he was gracious. He he said it wasn't for about me; it's about my organization, it's about all my employees. It's what he should have told the New York Times. He just didn't. And it's a fair thing to say. Okay, if that's what you really believe, then this is not the most you know the, the most benevolent situation in the world. It isn't. But it's also a winning situation until proven otherwise.
3: This isn't all this game for on Tuesday on Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Everyone's got to play better for Golden State, but and they haven't played poorly this series by, by any stretch. But how how much is this kind of you know their moment? You know the greatest quote greatest backcourt in NBA history. You know effectively was completely outplayed by Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, the two biggest stars on one side, totally. You know, beaten down by the two big stars on the other time. How how big a moment is this for Curry and for Thompson on Tuesday night?
0: Pretty big. You know, I already mentioned Steph. You're an Anonymous MVP and, 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 you know, clearly outplayed, clearly off, missing wide open shots. And Clay Thompson, you know, with minus 43, whatever he was, was, they shrunk a little bit. And, again, you know, in a rabid environment against a really good team, but if you're a great team and you're great players, and I'll throw Draymond in this, whether he's suspended, you know, we'll see if he's suspended. If he's playing, uh, he was terrible in, in, in Game Three, and these, these are those are the big three. Those are the guys who have decided where they were going, how they were going to get it, going to get 73, going to how they're going to play in the playoffs. You can't play that poorly and be, uh, you know, considered the way they're considered anymore. This, this is that moment for those three. Curry and Clay have to hit shots. That's, you know, there's so much of, you know, Mark Jackson, make or miss league. He said that a million times on the air. He said it to us when he was the coach of the Warriors. Ball goes in, you're good. Ball doesn't go in, you're not very good. It, it, it does get down to the, you have to put yourself in position to do it. Steve Curry has to figure out how to do it. Although they had some open shots last game, Chris, right? I mean, they had yeah. open shots. They just didn't put them in. Uh, it wasn't enough to, you know, not a 40 point difference of open shots, but, it certainly could have stemmed the tide there somewhere in that second quarter. Certainly, I know I know Curry feels that way. Uh, definitely the the front line guys, and we know on the road the the secondary players you can't count on them as much. Look what happened: Oklahoma City secondary players not so great in games one and two. Ro- Robertson, did he miss a shot? Did he miss a shot last game? The guy was unbelievable last game. Waiters is, is way better at home and certainly in this series so far. It's got to be on the front line guys, and and that's Curry, and that's. Clay and that's Ramon, and I'll throw a Godal in there, you know, Finals MVP, veteran player, had a nice stint early in, in in the last game, didn't really keep going with it. They need those guys if they're as great as we have said they were, and, and they've had great years. Uh, this is the moment for it, and if they don't show up for this moment, then it's going to be some revising on, on what we thought of them at least this season.
3: Tim, you're the best. Another time, another podcast, we'll do the 49ers. I have a feeling you have... Even stronger things to say.
0: Might have a few things to say.
3: I appreciate it, Tim. We'll see you at the game. All right. See you there. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Welcome back. Vertical Podcast. Chris Mannix. Want to welcome in a guest I've been looking forward to talking to for over a week now. Dave Yeager, the new head coach, Sacramento Kings. And Dave joins me here on the podcast. Dave, congratulations. Is this where you want to be right now?
4: I think it's a great situation. I'm excited about it. And, um, you know, going forward, uh, an organization that, uh, has everything, uh, of the best coming, uh, in front of it. Uh, you've got the new arena, you've got solid management, uh, and, uh, and his team. You've got some, uh, some good players and, uh, some younger players that are coming up. Got some picks coming up. And, uh, I, I think it's very, very positive for me professionally. And, you know, personally, it's a, it's a place where, you know, my family will enjoy living. And, uh, you know, we have, my wife's a horse gal, so mm-hmm. we've got four or five horses, and and uh, we'll be moving out and grabbing some some place with some land and a barn, and uh, hopefully there's a house on there too. So,
3: yeah, I I feel like the the social mediafication of reporting nowadays took a next level thing with you here because there were people out there reporting like if Sacramento wants to lure Dave Yeager, get the horses involved, get the wife involved
4: there. Did you see <laughs> any of that? Man, Sacramento people have been fantastic. We've got more life uh facebook requests and and texts to radio call in because i just put it out there on the radio when i did interviews you know like mm-hmm. hey if, if you got a spot with five to ten acres uh you'll get a discount on your season ticket so give me because the radio the call.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this deal came together pretty quickly from your visit to the offer to you accepting it, it was really a matter of days i mean what was it about this situation that was so appealing to you
4: that's that's a good question, uh, you know, because there's other there was other jobs open and uh I knew right away as soon as I met with Vladi that, you know, this was a this was a great opportunity. Certainly, you know, with where their team is, uh with the organization, you've got a, like I said, the brand new arena that's just uh ridiculous nice. And then also all the passion uh, of Sacramento, uh of the fans, uh the community, everywhere I went, you know, everybody was talking like, Man, this is gonna be great, we can you know, we've got this coming and that coming, and uh, everybody's looking forward to the future. And, and so, yeah, you know, with Vlade there, we've got Pejia Stajakovic in the, in the uh, front office as well and trying to get back to those, uh, those cowbell ringing days.
3: You were at least, you know, generally aware, I'm sure, about the, during the season about the deterioration of the relationship with Vlade and, and George Carl. I mean, it, it was messy. It was public. I mean, how much, if at all, did that concern you as you're factor as you're thinking about taking this job?
4: You know, Chris, uh, that's interesting because you know you're in the business. You, you get and you know that a lot of stuff is false mm-hmm. or overblown or whatever. And uh, you know, I could say that, uh, and I didn't really know what was all going on. But I also know that there are also things that maybe they they thought about me. Well, what about if? Uh, oh well, they've made this comment one time, you know, or you know, whatever, and this not, and and he didn't look at any of that stuff either. So uh, that's a very very honest answer never once entered into my mind i I, i'm marrying uh, a management group that i'm very very comfortable with
3: yeah i mean personnel is is probably the most important thing to a basketball team but i'm of the opinion that there aren't many other things more important than the relationship between the coach the gm the front office however you want to kind of define it was there something that in your conversations with vlade early on that made you think this could be a very strong relationship
4: He's uh you know, he's got a good basketball mind, and uh, you know, as sit around and think about it, and it kind of didn't hit me right away, and then I figured it out. You know, he and Tasia have been around in pro basketball since they were 14 years old. You know, with they've seen all the stuff overseas, they've been in the league for you know, ever and ever in our league too. But um, they've lived the pro basketball life of one kind or another for you know, almost 35, 40 years. Uh, he comes from a perspective of uh, of basketball, and uh, and I think that's positive. He's he's strengthening himself in other areas. Uh, he's open uh, and willing to use as much information and data as possible uh, in building out his team and and, uh, and his ideas on what we want to do player-wise and what we want to do with our team. So uh, he's fantastic, and, uh, you know, it was, it was his decision, and uh, a lot of the decisions going forward, you know, we're certainly we're going to be partnered on. But uh, this is his deal, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be part of it.
3: That's what I was going to kind of follow up with, Dave. Is it important for you for it to be collaborative out there with Sacramento to not just have kind of a divide where you know Vlad is the GM, you're the coach, you take the players he gives you? Is it important for you for it to be more than that?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he he certainly bleeds Sacramento Kings purple, you know, and uh, and we want to make this thing uh, we want to make it great again, and it's not going to happen, you know, over the course of six months, but it's going to uh, it's going to take off and it's it's more than just a job for him. You know what I mean? And it's more than just a team to have in Sacramento. People are very passionate. I mean, it would it'd be a roundabout answer, but, you know, I agree that, you know, what he wants to do, we can do together. And, uh, you know, for me, it's uh, what we agree on about what our team needs as far as the characteristics of the players. Shooting, playmaking, athleticism, char- you know, character guys, size, all that stuff. His job is to find the names that fit that, you know, the characteristics that we agree on. And, Certainly, do I I like some players more than others? Certainly, but you you know, I'm excited to go forward with them. I really am.
3: Make it great again. Did you just borrow a Donald Trump line for this podcast?
4: I didn't mean to. If I did.
3: (laughs) I, I think you did.
4: Well, I'm gonna stay way out of the politics, but uh, <laughs> but you know, I think we're going with uh, about our pride in the in the community and, and Sacramento proud and uh Kings proud, and uh, I think that's what we're going forward with this year. So we're trying to link back to you know their heyday and, and uh, get it back to where it was.
3: Probably the biggest question personnel wise uh, for everyone on the outside is Demarcus Cousins and. How, I'm wondering, how much did you and Vlade discuss Cousins and, most importantly, your ability and, and, even more importantly, your willingness to coach him?
4: You know, ability is, you know, like you said, kinda, it's uh, been in the league for a while, we have a great relationships with players. I always try to find the good players and, and try to give them a lot of confidence, but also hold them accountable. And, uh, you know, as we talked about it, it was just, you know, whether you're player number one or 15, you know, there's expectations of, of how we want to perform, at what level, effort, and then performance. Uh, and then certainly uh, what we'll accept uh, and what we expect from, from guys as far as professionalism goes. So, you know, we have high expectations for everybody. We have to hold everybody accountable. And uh, to have a franchise player with the skill level that he has is ridiculous.
3: Have you spent yeah. any time with DeMarcus at this point? Have you yeah. talked to him much? Or
4: I mean, he flew up for the press conference. Yeah. And, and you've, you've been in enough of those, Chris, where, you know, a lot of times uh, teams fly their players in and, like, you know, sh- to show solidarity or something that we're all in this, a- you know, shoulder to shoulder sure. and pop him up there. He didn't do that. He he just did it on his own. We well, didn't you know he's coming. He's like, oh hey, uh, DeMarc's coming tomorrow morning. Cool. So we we were able to spend some time together, and uh, that's a great way to start the relationship. And uh, I'm going to push him, and, and uh, I want him to be great. He wants to be great. And and guys like that, you know, they they never where they are. They have, if they're competitive as heck as they are, they want to they want to continue to get better. So certainly he wants to win.
3: Dave, hang on for just one second here because I've got to tell my listeners about this new offer from SeatGeek. And if you've ever been frustrated buying tickets online, you've got to try out SeatGeek. Most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at the checkout page. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. I've used it, it's great, phenomenal, highly recommended. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you can save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and SeatGeek will let you know if the ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed map to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, they show you the full ticket price range from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code MANIX. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code MANIX right now. All right, we're back with Dave Yeager, the uh, new Sacramento Kings head coach. And Dave, you mentioned the press conference, and the last press conference you were part of before then was something people have focused on, particularly the comments you made to reporters about how you would see them after July 1st in Memphis. I mean, they, did you know what you were saying there, and did you know how that was going to be interpreted?
4: Well, it was silly because I made a flippant comment about a, an agreement that I had already made with the guy on the Grizzlies, and we, we had agreed upon that you know a couple of weeks earlier that, hey, you know what, it's, and I don't need to go through the whole three-year week three sure. year process, but it's been crazy from the time that Lionel went, we got to the conference finals, and they didn't know what they were going to do with them, and then I end up getting the job, and it's just been on the run the first year, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we ran through a pretty daunting gauntlet of, of, of schedule and players this year. And uh, this is our job. You get tired. That's just what it is. But I thought it was a good time, and we both agreed that we would just, you know what, let me just step away from this for a little bit and uh, you know, go up north, back to Minnesota and South Dakota and, and hang out for a couple of weeks and uh, just really mentally rest and then uh, be ready to go for summer the like, you know, mm-hmm. and certainly uh, be able to. You know, I had input and in personnel there. You know, as far as what kind of players we're looking for. I'm sorry, I've got. To, I'm sitting in an airport, on my way back from Sacramento, but I certainly had input. So, so yes, to answer your question, did I make a flippant answer? Yes, I should have explained it or not made that comment that way. And you know, I'm getting tortured for a little bit, but. I didn't think it would be a big deal.
3: No, I mean, I, as you explain it, it makes more sense. It's just when I hear you say something like that, it seemed like you knew then that it was probably over at Memphis. Did, did you not feel like that way? Did you did that no, come no, later?
4: No, 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 just no. That was just just for a break. Mm. You know what I mean? That it was it was just you know four or five weeks to you know what? You know I'll be available to get a hold of me on the phone. We got certainly there's trades that come up draft and which players you like and don't like, and and uh, so I was you know I was going to be around, but. It was just an opportunity just to, just to take a little mini-mini sabbatical.
3: The, uh, you mentioned the, the input on personnel and the number of guys you went through in Memphis. It was an incredible amount of players for a playoff team to have to deal with all throughout the season because of the injuries. The, the midseason trades that, that kind of broke up the team a little bit. Jeff Green goes out. Courtney Lee goes out. Were, were you part of the process on those deals? And, and you know there was some stuff out there about maybe you being frustrated by those deals.
4: You know, No, I mean, I, I found out about them you know, afterwards you know, like everybody else did. And and as a as a competitor to go out to the next game with, you know, two of your four remaining best players gone, that's tough. You know? So as a as a short term competition head coach deal, yeah, you are frustrated. But uh you know what the what the greater plan is and if that's explained to you and you know you feel okay, okay. You know, and so uh I I don't want to say that we did the best we could. I, I was just really impressed with how well our group responded, and, and they kept fighting. After every, it seemed every four or five days, we would lose another player. Whether it be, you know, Brandon Wright or Mike Conley, then Mike uh, Mario Chalmers, and then it just really slid down from there. So <laughs> uh, our guys fought, man. They really fought.
3: You you inherited a team after taking over that was built to play big, ground and pound, basically. Uh, is that your preferred style, or are we going to see something different from you in Sacramento?
4: Uh, you know, it depends what the what the roster looks like, and so. If that's what's best for the, as the rosters the put together, then that's the way. You, and I always did that in the minor leagues, and that's probably where it's from. You know, to me in the minor leagues, I try to just recruit the best players I could get, and uh, and then you know, and a lot of times you're going to lose players throughout the course. Of the season. Sometimes you change styles in the middle of the season, mm. whether you're playing four out, whether you're playing three uh, three out and two in, or a whole game, or post game, or whatever. So uh, you know, I'm going to take some of the things that I thought were effective with market back, and and try to use that with Demarcus. So we can do some of those things, but I, you know, I got to get my hands on these guys and, you know, take a good look at the, at Willie Cauley's guy and what he brings to the table. Where does Rudy Gates fit, uh, to maximize his usage? You know, we have one, one point guard in Darren Coffin, right now and we have, you know, John Rondo, the free agent. So we're, you know, there's a lot of things, uh, that are still up in the air as far as that goes. So I can all coach, uh, whatever, whatever suits uh, our talent the best.
3: You considered back in in 2014 leaving at one point to go coach in Minnesota. Ultimately, you decided to come back, and it seemed like any disconnect that existed between you and ownership had been resolved. What what changed in in the two years since that point?
4: Between uh, me and, and Robert.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, just basically in the organization in general. That 2014, you're you're back, and, and things look like they're going a long-term yeah, no, direction. A
4: yeah, it was a good year. You know, won 55 games, and uh, I think we won 40 by the All-Star break, and and uh, got to Portland. Uh, in the first round, and uh, we're up 2-1 on Golden State in the next, and feeling really good. So, you know, those things, Yeah, I just think it's, it's it can be a communication issue on both sides, and nobody's right or no, 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 nobody's wrong, sometimes those those channels of communication just aren't what they should be.
3: Did you feel like management supported you enough in that last year in Memphis?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
4: You know, I get along great. I mean, uh, Chris Wallace and I uh, get along great, and it's the fans game, John Hollander, so... Uh, there was never any issues there. You know, you're going to disagree behind closed doors, and when you know when you come out, then and you go forward. Okay, what you know, what here's the plan. But you no, know, it's tough year. It's tough year on everybody, and and uh, very stressful. And you know, I'm sure everybody's kind of glad, like, <sighs> okay, now let's move on to the next season.
3: Before I let you go, I know you're busy. The, you mentioned Rajon Rondo, and that's probably the biggest off-season decision. For this team, in terms of a big contract, I mean, what do you give him? what happens there? what's your position on Rondo? Have you been a fan of him over the years? Do you like his game? do you like how it fits with your style?
4: I do. Uh, I think he's an incredibly high IQ uh, guy He's seen and done uh, you know everything in this league as far as winning championships and uh, playing in big games and uh, you know I'm, I'm a fan uh, of his game, and uh, you know I think he is a great setup guy. So, uh, you know, you got to try to design some things where, you know, he has some creativity, some room to be creative, uh, and yet at the same time, he's going to know where the ball needs to go, and uh, he's always been really, really good at just, you know, directing everything, so uh, you're going to have the, the the right parts around him just as any point guard to sleep.
3: Interesting lifestyle switch from Memphis to the Northern California area, huh?
4: Yeah, I mean where do you want to start? There's but there is allergies <laughs> in both. I've been sneezing out in Sacramento all week too. Uh but the less humidity, uh you know, but the, both the the thing that I can say, Chris, that's both the same is the rabid, passionate uh basketball fans that are in both communities. Nine years in Memphis was just fantastic, a lot of friends. Uh they love their Grizzlies basketball and now, you know, to go to Sacramento I'm very very blessed and lucky to you know, to go to some place that cares about it as much as, as they do.
3: Well, Dave, congratulations. Lots of success out there in Sacramento. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon, and uh, I appreciate taking the time.
4: Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
3: Thanks for listening, everybody, and my thanks to Dave Yeager of the Memphis Grizzlies and Tim Kawakami of the San Jose Mercury News. Don't forget, you can download this podcast anywhere you can download podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it. And don't forget to subscribe to the other great podcast, the Vertical Podcast with Woj and the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Redick.
1: This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is start listening.